Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, a rating, and make sure to share out our podcast on Apple Podcast. We are everywhere. Also, if you can, consider supporting our Patreon. That way we can keep doing what we love, and that's catching up on the 2023 roster of animated films we have yet to talk about. And now, on with the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And yeah, we've still got some unfinished 2023 business to take care of. This time, we got some movies to review. We've got Under the Boardwalk, Trolls Band Together, and Migration. But first like we've been trying to do recently, we're dedicating some time for the indie spotlight. So Cameron, what show are we talking about this time? For this week, we will be talking about and recommending y'all check out the pilot for Atlas and the Stars by Miranda Animations. Atlas and the Stars follows the story of a human and an alien trying to make their way back home after mysteriously getting tossed across the universes. Both Atlas and Atmosphere have no choice but to team up together and if they ever want to make it out of this strange place. Starring the voices of Courtney Steele as Atlas, Oliver Smith as Atmosphere, Delvin Green as Quasar, Lindsay Russo as Nebula, and Wyatt West as Cosmo. So... This is coming off of the tail end of the releases of certain pilots like Godspeed. So right now we're probably going to see a couple of different sci-fi indie pilots come out within the next year or two. But, you know, that's fun. We get to see more interesting takes on the sci-fi genre. And for a pilot that was mostly done by one person, I'm impressed. I mean, we've talked about tangentially of the fact that not every indie project is going to have the biggest teams or the most experienced animators. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely some moments that I wish were either done differently or fixed, like with the walking animations, just because it just looks like the characters sliding across the ground as like they walk. But this first episode does a pretty solid job of setting up the mystery of our two characters and of the ongoing possible story where we come across this one planet and its inhabitants of having to feed this unknown entity and the addiction or connection the supposed villain has with this entity. And then we have our runaway lead character and an alien that just happened to get caught in the ride out of the space station that our human character was docked in there are definitely some parts of the designs i think could have been polished up a little more but i do like the look of this show i think the long triangular heads are a nice touch compared to some of the other design aesthetics that people are doing i like that there's a ton of different visual looks for a handful of the pilots that we've seen so far. That's one thing that I've really enjoyed about all of these is that you can't really mistake one for the other. They each have their own unique comedic sensibilities. Some of the stories can be kind of similar, but even then, each creative team has 
their own identity. And I like that about this one too. And yeah, the fact that Miranda pretty much pretty much handled pretty much everything for the most part, except for the voice acting, honestly really impressive. It's so cool to see what some of these teams are coming up with. Like there are some teasers and work in progress trailers that I've seen for some of these projects. And of course, taking into consideration that the indie animation scene is in no way sustainable. And a lot of these projects will need your constant undying support because, you know, of a lack of a studio backing and all that jazz. They're all fairly different. I mean, I've complained about a few that have similar aesthetics or character dynamics. But like for this one, I love Atlas and Atmosphere. You have your more headstrong character and your more optimistic person to bounce off of. But then you have like the maybe villains of the group. I mean, they look imposing, but we're at a point where we've seen stories where some characters who look super imposing and villainous are not actually villains and such. Like we've seen the tables flip before. In this case, it might just be like just some sort of misunderstanding that this guy wants to power his home planet and is doing whatever it takes, but... Maybe it's just the vocal performance doesn't really come off as villainous, but then what it sounds like he wants to do can be pretty villainous. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell with this character. I just know that there's something about him that's intriguing. Yeah, there's more to it than meets the eye. It reminded me of stuff like Final Space or Godspeeds in terms of atmosphere and tone. Very quiet. It wasn't as wacky or noisy as other pilots that we've seen so far it definitely is one to keep an eye out on and miranda animations has a website if you want to watch the pilot and merchandise if you want to help fund the animation process hopefully maybe if they get better funding or are able to hire a few more people to work on this they can keep improving and keep telling this interesting story but if it is also going to be like this one person project so be it i'm not really bothered by the fact that the animation here is rougher like i said the walking animation is just like a nitpick for me i like everything else you get a lot of personality out of the limited animation and posing it's also doing something that i think is really smart is how when they go far away from the characters on screen, they pull a, I'm not going to call it a Hilda situation, but when the camera is far away from our main characters, I like that they use smaller character models for them, like less detailed. And I think that's smart because I don't think there would be any reason to keep using the more highly detailed designs when they're up close, when, the camera needs to be far away to encompass some kind of mood or tone within the scene. I was going to point that out too. It's it's nice that they don't have to worry about those character models. Using the smaller character models for like those long shots is definitely better than trying to keep like that same amount of detail on every scene. Very smart the way certain scenes are staged. I mean, that's really all I have to say about this one. I think Atlas and the Stars is a fun little potential series and i would definitely like to see more so hopefully y'all give 
this project a shot. Well said. Like I've said on Twitter, if you want to see all of these pilots continue, then you got to be there to show your support. Let's move on to Under the Boardwalk, the Paramount animation film that was, let's be real here, this film got heavily screwed over. It's directed by David Soren, who y'all would probably know more from the likes of the director of Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, and the TV specials for the DreamWorks' Madagascar franchise. He also directed Turbo. Oh yeah, that's right. This film was written by Lauren Scafardia, who worked on films such as Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, The Meddler, and Hustlers. That's a very interesting filmography. Kind of makes sense with how like this film has a lot of personality that you wouldn't find in most. And it was also written by David Dobkin, who worked on stuff like Clay Pigeons, Shanghai Nights, Wedding Crashers, The Judge, and Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Before we, we do say why this film got screwed over, I get it because of the one person who's attached to this that they, I guess, didn't want to spend the money to redub. This film may have gone in the most raw end of the deal, like of the films last year. A small limited theatrical release and then a video on demand release shortly after. And really, I understand there's maybe some worry about it floundering under before the releases of Disney's Wish and Trolls Band Together. And who knows, maybe the test audiences don't like musicals would have turned their heads to this one, even though a lot of people went to see that Trolls Band Together film, and a lot of people are going to see Wonka for some reason. Nothing against Wonka, it's just that whole audiences don't like musicals thing is weird, and I blame 2019's Cats for that notion. Hmm. But, but I get why this film got buried, because lo and behold, content warning, because this guy is a huge sexual abuser and just stummy person. Russell Brand is in this movie. And again, why didn't they just take him out? Just recast him. You could have gotten a hundred different legit voice actors who could have done more than this guy. I'm just saying. Maybe they didn't have the time. Maybe they couldn't do it or couldn't get the money for it. But it sucks that Everyone else has to suffer because of this one scumbag human. So, Mike, what do you think about this movie? I liked it. It's not great, but one thing that it has above, well, a lot of movies, other movies that are around this genre, is it's very consistent in both its tone and just the... You can tell that one of the writers is a New Jersey native because there is a lot of New Jersey energy in these characters. The plot of this one is like essentially a little bit of Dirty Dancing, a little bit of West Side Story, maybe some Romeo and Juliet because of the two warring factions of... Oh yeah, by the way, this film's about 
land hermit crabs having a beef with hermit crabs from the ocean. <laughs> so we follow a hermit crab named Armin, voiced by Michael Sarah, as he's, you know, doesn't leave his shell often with his buddy Anemone, voiced by Ron Funches, quite literally. And one day, like during the summer vacation time of little hermit crab New Jersey, where this ocean crabs come like onto land and go to the resorts and, you know, are, as the land hermit crabs say, tourists. Well, he meets a hermit crab named Ramona, voiced by Kiki Palmer. And, well, shenanigans ensue, and then they all get separated after a huge tidal wave. Or I guess a tidal wave that's big compared to the hermit crabs. And Armin and Ramona end up separated from everyone else and have to make their way back before the warring factions of hermit crabs go after one another because of the two missing. I think this movie is pretty charming. It's not one of my top 10 or anything. It's, I think, in my top 20. But I consider it like the Wish Dragon film of 2023. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's pretty straightforward. But it's well executed, earnest, has personality, charm, the humor is actually pretty good in all things considered because you think having a bunch of New Jersey, Jersey Shore kind of stereotypes would make this old. But luckily, I think the characters are very likable, like more so than you would find yourself in something like this. And a lot of that I do think has to do with the cast. I think Michael Sarah can still do that whole nervous, shy guy role that he's been mostly relegated to from his early days of acting to now but he does have a little more substance to him than being like this meek guy he has a reason why he's well sheltered and then like when we have like kiki palmer who i think is a delight i think she's the bubbly energy that this film needed for its lead or its co-lead yeah for sure And Kiki Palmer's just great. Seems like she's having a lot of fun as the character of Ramona. And I like her chemistry with with Shelly, her deaf sister. Way more representation here than what Disney is ever going to allow here. Because Shelly actually shows up for way more than just one scene. She's actually... An integral character for one of the other characters' story arcs. And I was honestly very impressed with Bobby Carnival as Bobby. It was like, oh boy, here comes the meathead. But there is more nuance to him than him being just a beefy meathead himbo friend of Armin. And I also thought John Magaro as Manny was also very funny. The more hot-headed, short crab of the bunch. <laughs> What's funny is if you only know him from past lives, you would not think that he's hothead. Or like you've seen him in like Overlord or something like that. where, Or uh, First Cow. He was really good in that too. <laughs> like he's a good actor. I like him. He's great. I just liked his character being so ready to be flippant. With the other crabs, he's like, hey, you want to start a fight? Huh? What? You want to get out of here? Huh? And then the crabs is like, 
No, just sinks back into the ocean. There's a little bit of maybe caricatures of what you would define as New Jerseyans, but there's still like a means to an end of with some of these characters. Like I, my favorite moment of this movie outside of the Ramona Armin scenes is honestly Bobby when he runs into Shelly and their bond and how they grow to befriend one another and how Bobby is like, yeah, he's a big muscular crab, which by the way, hermit crabs can get big. If you just let them be like, they can get as big as a coconut. And I'm not just talking about coconut crabs that you find on land and such. I mean, big monstrous as big as your head hermit crabs so <laughs> be wary they're not just the tiny little things you find in the in the sand and such he's big and he's like really prone into getting into fights but there's well like his song sequence suggests he's more than just a meathead and i thought their chemistry was adorable not romantic in any way but just more friends which I am glad. Like, I know there's this contention of people saying they want more romances in animated films now, but I'm pretty happy with close friendships still. We already have, like, the main... This was just kind of nice for Bobby and for Shelley, two characters who definitely have more going on them than under the surface. And that's what a lot of this film's about. It's very straightforward, but it's more about kindness and don't be discriminating i like the look of the animation for this film it's pretty polished in general and i like the colors i think the crab designs are a lot of fun i like the different shells i like the different body types that they give each of the crabs and i like the distinct difference between land crabs and the ocean crabs where the ocean crabs have more blue and turquoise colors, while the land crabs have more orange and brown tones to their colors. The designs are very charming in motion. They don't look like how those animated films from overseas come out and they try to do something different with animated animals and it just looks weird. They found a good balance between crab and cartoony crab. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> You can kind of tell this comes from the same director as, as Turbo. Not that they're like completely similar character designs, but they have a lot of personality in, for example, each of their shells, how they're very distinct from one another, plus the different body types. And the lighting in a lot of these shots has a lot of life to it. Like this probably costs a pretty penny. And the fact that Paramount was just willing to bite the bullet on losing money on this one is really a bummer because it looks great. I know everyone wants every animated film to look like Spider-Verse right now, and I get it, but I don't want that to be the case. I want every film to do what they set out to do. And it's not like this film doesn't have any interesting visuals. I like the human designs. They kind of remind me of... The designs from films like Storks and the scale of how they have the crabs and the humans work off of one another, I think is a lot of fun. They spoil this one scene in the trailer, which bums me out a little, but I love how big and epic 
this battle at the end looks between the, <laughs> the crabs. But you see a human head like sticking out of the sand because he got buried up there from the neck down. And you see these crabs just screaming and charging at one another. And it's like, oh, right. They're tiny crabs. <laughs> I see that gag so many times and yet it never gets old. There's just something evergreen about some huge battle that zooms out to like something significantly more mundane. Because to them, of course, it's like a big Lord of the Rings saving Private Ryan fight or something akin to Braveheart. But to everyone else, I think we'd all just be like, huh, okay. (laughs) And I like the creativity of some of the shells. The manager at the resort has a little bell on his shell. The homeless crustacean, Curly, who's voiced by the veteran himself, Jim Cummings, has more of like a homeless feel to him, especially with like like the mustache made of seaweed. Or like any of the crabs in the buy a hermit crab pet cage have like here's whatever for a shell or they have like those tiny painted shells that never look good but you know they're supposed to be eye-catching because you want to buy a crab even though the natural shell looks cooler to me and i think the voice cast is pretty good overall minus the (laughs) russell brand of it all Mm -hmm. so like we have kiki palmer michael Sarah, bobby cannavale John Magro, John Rudinsky, Stephen Van Zandt, Vanessa Bell Calloway, Solshana Stern, Ron Funches, Mario Catone, Gideon Adlon, Lisa Tarbuck, Leslie Margarita, Sandra Skirbo, Phil Lamar. He shows up a couple times. He's great. Uh, Stephen Sharipa and Sharon Angela as Bobby's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Marinera. Sean Shiplock, David Soren, Valerie Ray Miller, Maureen Van Zant, and David Ian Salter. I have also noticed that Paramount really wants to shove influencers into their animated films because this is the second one in one year where they brought on Mr. Beast as a small cameo. And it's not like he doesn't ruin anything, but it, it is distracting because he's not an actor. I feel like you could have just gotten someone else or like maybe like Roger Craig Smith or something like that to, to like for this cameo because he doesn't do anything. I mean, he plays the one crab who's constantly the butt of the joke. The hot sauce crab. Yeah. He's the one who keeps getting caught first. He's like, hooray, I'm free. Then gets caught again. I could see Roger Craig Smith playing that character. Or to someone... I mean, it's harmless. It's just, I find it distracting because I know a lot of animated films for a time were trying to be like, here's a YouTuber, watch the movie. And it's just like, I'm not going to watch it because of the YouTuber. I get why, like, kids will do that because I'm not the target demographic for YouTubers. I'm here to see it because the animation looked good. I like the director and I like the writing and so on. I was pleasantly surprised by the musical numbers here. I think this might be the best animated musical of the year. Something I was not prepared to say in 2023. The romantic hermit crab movie beats out 
Disney's Wish as the animated musical alongside Trolls Band together. Oh, that's such a weird thought process. The tunes are catchy. They have a good mixture of original songs and then just filler songs. But I think my favorite one is Bobby Cannavale's song, More Than the Meathead. And I like the first one where it's like, and if you can't find paradise here, what's wrong with you? I mean, this film can be really funny in like small moments where like one of the Bobby's friends, it's like, hey, how you doing, toots? Drop dead. Eh, like I just like the interaction. <laughs> but do you have a favorite song from this movie? It's probably either More Than a Meathead or the opening number or even the one where Ramona and Armin are having like their day out in the amusement park. The cast is full of pretty good singers. I mean, I didn't see anyone who was like credited as singing voice for this one character or something like that. It was interesting to hear that a lot of these people can sing or they tailored the songs to the voice actor in mind. So Bobby Cannavale doesn't have the strongest range, but he gets this cool rock opera meathead song and he does a pretty good job of it i think my one criticism is not really the ending per se but it's like the reveal at the end where of course russell brand is the one who sucks i don't know i think he gets off a little too easy but i get why they went with that story ending where mako decides to make amends with the land crabs by offering them a cool new shell by the way they get a lot of mileage on the characters being hermit crabs i love when the flood comes through and you see two of the hermit crabs using their shells as a boat to row across the water that was a cool detail it's very creative where they go with some of the visual designs of the shells like the two eyes representing the two kind of weird-looking crabs in the cage. But back to the ending, what do you think? Do you think Mako should have had a more he-gets-sold-off-as-a-crab, or do you think... I mean, I think the ending is fine. It feels a little cheap that the reveal that everything is all his mother's idea. Yeah. That just feels a bit cheap, but... It undercuts the... Exactly. I mean, it's funny... Let's just face it, rich people who get caught are not going to do the right thing by their own demeanor. They're going to be forced to do it. (laughs) But I wish it was not at the expense of the mother's idea of it, but I don't know. I get why they did it. I wish it was just either Mako got punished more or it was Mako wanting to make amends with no strings attached. I think that's what I would have preferred because I don't necessarily need to see him getting his comeuppance in that way per se, but him actively trying to be better is alternative to like the usual ending for characters like him. I like this movie. I'll be a ride or die fan for Under the Boardwalk. I think it's a cute little film and I think everyone should rent it or buy it. I bought mine when it was like, five bucks on sale on voodoo like give it a rent give it a watch and unfortunately i think the only physical format i have seen for this film is a dvd which 
Come on, man. Stop making DVDs. Make Blu-rays. I'm not asking for everything to be in 4K Blu-rays. But I think there's no point in doing DVDs with the exception that it's cheaper. That's not fair to the hardworking talent that went into crafting the animation for this film from Paramount Animation, Big Kid Pictures, and DNEG Animation. So, If you're only going to do DVDs, that's the sign that that you really don't care about this movie. And I wish Paramount kind of stood behind this one a little bit more. But I did look up. The soundtrack is for sale for $6.99. And I th- think it would be worth a purchase. Like, I think the songs are good enough for like someone to say, hey, I'm going to buy this song and whatever. But yeah, give it a watch. I think it deserved to have more attention. And I'm sorry that it got lost in the shuffle because of stupid nonsense from the higher ups at Paramount. But I guess we should talk about the other musical on display for this episode with Trolls Band Together, the third film in the Trolls franchise. Mike, how about you talk a little bit about this one first? So let's talk about the setup. This is the movie where Poppy discovers that Branch and his four brothers were part of one of her favorite boy bands, Brozone. So when one of the siblings, Floyd, gets kidnapped by a pair of nefarious villains, Branch and Poppy embark on a harrowing and emotional journey to reunite the other brothers and rescue Floyd from a fate even worse than pop culture obscurity. I'm probably the one person who will defend all three Trolls movies. I'm pretty much an easy lay for movies that embrace both the creativity of animation and with an appreciation for music. This one puts the focus on boy bands, which is kind of fun for people of our generation. It also really likes to make fun of people who, like Millie Vanilli, who will build their fame entirely off the work of other people. So here's where I stand with the Trolls films. We haven't really talked about them since 2020. Been a minute. Yeah. And... It's not my favorite franchise from DreamWorks, but if these films keep getting made as an excuse to experiment with different visual styles and animation, so be it. I will be glad to watch these because I feel like this what is the franchise that DreamWorks uses to try out some new things and then, you know, use those new discoveries for their other films because these aren't the strongest stories dreamworks's films they're pretty straightforward some of them have a bit more nuance to them i think the second one has the most complex under its musical sequences i would agree with that but everything that i have liked about the trolls films are kind of in this one but I think the Trolls films are starting to... Like, I think three is pretty good. They're probably going to make a fourth one because, of course, they're going to make a fourth one just kind of like they're making a fourth Kung Fu Panda film. I think my problem with Trolls Band Together is more the ideas of the story. Not that it's not interesting to 
talk about the hype behind boy bands. I mean, in the 90s, you couldn't skip a rock across the lake without hitting a boy band that was maybe big in the 90s or maybe tried to ride the coattails of NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. And I love how they expand on the world of the Trolls films. Like the big puppet Muppet looking character creatures on Vacation Island. I love the look of that. The texture work. Like seriously, the Trolls films are like a crash course on texture work and animation. Probably some of the best texture work I've seen for a movie that Let's be honest, they did not have to go this hard with, like, every single fine detail. But they did, and I highly appreciate it. The water effects, how they're just, like, beads or whatever they are. So cool. I love that detail with the world. Because then it's just, like, you don't have to use realistic water physics to know how that's going to work off of these very cartoony designs. Exactly. I also dug the plastic people. The I don't know what exactly they are, but I mean, I don't think they were ever described of like what they are because we know they're the trolls and the variations of the trolls. Then there's a Bergen. And then there's these. Well, I don't even think the Muppet people have a title to identify as. So with. Mount Rajon lives these rubber hose plastic individuals that are all about hype, popularity, and being famous. In other words, plastic describes their entire personality. Exactly. And I love their animation. Whoever is in charge of the animation for these characters did such a fantastic job with our two villains. Their designs and how they move... Just wonderful. Probably my favorite bits of animation from this film. And of the year. I think it's pretty clear that, to me at least, DreamWorks has a ton of amazing character animators. They do. And I hope they keep them on, despite the fact they're going to start outsourcing a lot of the work to other studios because of reasons, which sucks. That's a topic for another time. My problem comes into the brothers side of this film. Not that I don't like the cast. So we have John Dory, voiced by Eric Andre. David Diggs as Spruce. Kid Cuddy as Clay. And Troy Savan as Floyd. I get what they're going for with this because of the fact that Justin Timberlake is back. And of course he was part of one of the biggest boy bands and probably the, one of the biggest bands of the nineties and to have commentary about why boy bands break up and just the fact of fun versus work and how every band struggles with this when they have that one member of the group, that's either a huge personality or a huge pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look what happened with Van Halen. I'm just saying, if you want another example of that. So I think it's very cool that they have these four brothers and I like their dynamics and how Eric Andre was constantly the butt of the reunion and of the jokes aimed at the boy band. Like I loved Poppy being like, well, you're not the 
dreamboat one. Well, I, that's just from your perspective. <laughs> you're, you're not the fun one. Or like when they reunite with the other brothers, the other brothers just completely ignore Eric Andre. But my issue is, is with the fact that this film hyped itself up. It was a major part of the latter half of the marketing campaign that they were going to have an in sync reunion with this movie. But the problem is, if you're sitting there waiting for the in sync reunion to happen, you're going to be waiting until the very end of the movie. So why not streamline this and have the brothers played by the other band members of in sync? Yeah, a fair critique because if you're going to spend all that energy marketing the admittedly pretty good first single of theirs in what 21 years it it would help if they had more of a presence in the story than just a last minute cameo in the in like the last five minutes and it's not like any of these other band members have not acted before they have been very active doing voice work a lot of them especially like i think uh yeah chris kirkpatrick was in fairly odd parents as chip skylark yeah and lance bass has been a constant returning guest voice for when they need a boy band a character to represent boy bands and or like boy band members and whatever he was in gravity falls for one of the episodes that's right i remember that and like Joey Fatone has been a character actor. He's in the My Big Fat Greek Wedding films. Jay-Z Chazes has been on TV as a judge and everywhere. So it's like, why did we need to hire Eric Andre, David Diggs, Kid Cudi, and Troy Savon for this movie when they could have replaced them with the NSYNC and make it, who knows what happens. This film also kind of came out right when Justin Timberlake was getting a lot of freaking heat for his actions from the past. I don't know. It just really bugs me because the, like this film is harmless. I'm not saying it's like the most cynical piece of cinema of 2023. That's Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey. The problem here is it makes the movie feel so much more artificial than it should be because of the hype behind the reunion with NSYNC and then just shoving it at the end. It was like a last minute. It feels like a last minute decision. It's interesting what this film adds, but then takes away. Like for once, they pretty much put all of the troll side characters in the back. I mean, granted the last film, we we had Biggie and Cooper on the forefront, but Really, the only returning side character who's part of the main story throughout the whole thing is Tiny Diamond, who's voiced by Kenan Thompson. And don't get me wrong, he is fun to have in this ensemble, but it it does feel weird how much smaller scale this movie feels in comparison to to the previous two. Exactly. Well, by the way, where were the other trolls in this? Because they... They make a reference to the Rockopolis and Anderson Pock is there for like one line. I don't know why you had to bring him back. <laughs> it just sounds like a needless expense to bring back some of these actors. 
just for the sake. It's it, like it's weird because Ron Funches is not in this a whole lot. He's basically there at the beginning and that's it, and has like two lines. Kunal Nayar has like one line as Guy Diamonds. They pretty much replaced James Corden as Biggie. Though I liked seeing the return of Mr. Dinkles when King Peppy is talking about the big twist that we'll get to in a second. And then Kevin Michael Richardson does a great line delivery of just like, that's all the time that we have. (laughs) (laughs) But that's because I love Kevin Michael Richardson. But where were the other trolls? So when all of this was happening, did none of the other music trolls pick up on this? I mean, I shouldn't care about this, but this film introduces so many little story beats that don't add up. Like, okay, Branch was in a boy band after Brozone. Why was this never mentioned until the very end? When did this happen? Did this happen after Branch's grandma got killed? (laughs) I shouldn't care because it's like the Cars franchise. Once you dive into that, you're going to find yourself questioning so many aspects of this film series when it's not the point. They didn't think of this huge lore-riddled world. That's the only reason why I, to save so many headaches, it would have just been easier to streamline Brozone. And I will say it is a cool Easter egg that the band that NSYNC plays in the movie is called Kismay. That was one of the one of the names they in sync would have gone by. That's funny, but l- now let's talk about the villains. I think they are both probably the best part of this movie because of their animation. I think if I had to pick between the two, Andrew R- Rannells is the more interesting performer of the two twins of veneer and velvet where with velvet being voiced by amy schumer and if you've heard of veneer's voice before you would recognize andrew from big mouth and other voiceover performances and from stuff like the book of mormon i think he has a better handle of comedic timing though because of all that experience and it's not just because i don't find amy schumer funny I just don't think she does a very good job as Velvet. I'm trying to think of like who I would have preferred to play Velvet, but at least one thing she does get down right is the bratty entitlement of this character. And one of the funnier jokes is when Velvet is like, don't you remember? Like we came from a humble background. It cuts to like an Oliver Twist parody. Please, sir. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, no. So she's like, do you want to go back when we had nothing? And it t- yeah, it cuts to the Oliver Twist. And then instantly, Veneer shuts that down, saying like, girl, our parents were dentists. We lived in the suburbs. Whatever I have to say with issues about this movie story-wise, and I'll definitely talk about one of them soon. This movie was funny. And shout out to the fact that DreamWorks is now going to be known as the, we're going to slide in a surprise swear word into our movies now since this happened again after Puss in Boots the Last Wish. Love it. Like during it's like Daddy 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 I got pink eye and then Keenan Thompson just goes like oh beep <laughs> also the pink eye gag killed me. It's a very funny movie. Like it has good jokes, 
definitely not as funny as I wish it was, but I still found myself chuckling and laughing. But then we get to Viva, voiced by Camila Cabello. Nothing against her. I think she does a good job of what she needs to do with the character. But why did we need to have two individual separate I have a long lost sibling reveal? Because I feel like this film is trying to be about Branch, but then they had to let Poppy have something happen. I mean, I guess you could argue that their stories of like how they respond to one another and like their respective siblings, like that's the meaning behind having both of them having long lost siblings. But you have to be careful with these long lost sibling tropes because if you don't mention them, it's clunky to just be like, oh yeah, no, I'm your long lost sister. I got separated from y'all back in the day when we were escaping the Bergens and we just apparently never went outside this mini golf course to say like, Hey, the Bergens aren't going to eat us anymore. I think the execution is maybe a little bit clunky, but when I was watching it the first time, it didn't feel as jarring the first time, but maybe that's just because I was taking everything in. Right. And I think individually, I, I do like the character. And I like how pretty much she bonds immediately with Poppy until they try to leave. And she's like, no, don't do that. Yeah, watch out for the Bergen and all that stuff. And of course, have to be convinced. And Viva's mind is changed when we see Gristle and Bridget again. I was almost like, why are they here? But I think they had some of the better chemistry of the movie and some of the better jokes when John Dory comes in, he's like, stop the wedding! And Christopher Mintz plaws as Gristle is just like, do you know that person, Bridget? Bridget's just like, I can't remember all of my suitors. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised by how fun they were. I liked a lot more the side characters than the main characters this time around. Because even I thought Tiny Diamond, he didn't really have a story. Or much of like, an ending to his story of like finding out that it's okay to be a child and being an adult kind of sucks <laughs> for everything. This movie does well. There's just some aspects of it that feel like they had to, or they were forced to by committee or something happened because, you know, animation production is a constant tug of war between letting the artists do what they need to versus doing what the higher ups think will be good for this movie. And decisions like that, I've noticed, usually only affect a third film in like a DreamWorks, either trilogy or just franchise. I'm not trying to dunk on Shrek the Third again, but that's probably one of the worst examples of the third movie being a noticeable decline in quality. But would you agree that there can be a decline between the second and third films it's going to happen it's hard to make three really good movies in a franchise in a row it's hard to really find examples where all three films were good or were better than the last even their strongest franchises like how to train your dragon and kung fu panda 
still had weaker third films compared to their second films. Like How to Train Your Dragon 3 had a weaker villain and a sort of realization that we have no idea what we're doing with our side characters. So let's, I guess, do something. Or Kung Fu Panda 3, which I still very much love. And this is a very minor story nitpick. Making Poe the chosen one defeats the entire point of the previous two films. Mm. Sorry, that sounds damning. But but that's what I get from a lot of their third films sometimes. They, they push forward the world, the story, the characters. Except Trolls is not the strongest story-wise. So where were they going to go with Branch and Poppy? Like, they're already going out. They don't imply that they're going to get married. I think that's one of the funnier moments at the end of the movie where it looks like Branch is about to propose, but Poppy's just like, to get on stage with y'all and dance with y'all? And he says, like, yes. I don't know. It's like, I feel like I'm being harsh on Trolls Band together. I would still rather watch this than most animated films that come out. I just think artistic intention and corporate mandate clash with this one. Just like Shrek the Third, where you still have things from the second film in there, but it's not as good and the story just comes to a halt because of it. But we talked about that already. Like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to hate on this film. I like it. I love the voice cast. Some of the performances from some of the side characters, like Patty Harrison. And you hear Roger Craig Smith and Fred Tadashore. And I love David Diggs as Spruce. I think he was my favorite of the brothers. And whatever complaints I have, the animation, like that whole sequence with the hustle, where they do all those different art styles amazing i wish they didn't spoil that for the trailer but same i love that they let it happen more than once but it's so cool that we get to see some 2d animation again and the musical sequences are a lot of fun especially when spruce is convinced to go back to dance again and that whole sequence just screams 90s boy band stuff (laughs) oh yeah and all things considered, David Diggs, Eric Andre, Kid Cudi, and Troy Savon do a good job as the brothers and singing. Again, you don't try to make them sing above their limitation. You make music that works with them and not against them. Exactly. But obviously... This movie's doing well. It's made like 200 plus million dollars at the box office on a budget of 95. It's doing fine. If you have yet to watch it, it's now available to rent. I don't know if it's still in theaters, but... I mean, my theater is is still holding on to it, so it must be doing something right. But, you know, give it a watch. If you like the other Trolls films, it's a no-brainer to rent or go see this one on the big screen. I don't think it's DreamWorks' best offering of the year. I don't know. Would you prefer Trolls Band together over Ruby Gilman? That's tough. I think I have my reasons for choosing Trolls Band together over Ruby Gilman, but they're both in that category of I can comfortably recommend both of these. 
Exactly. I think Ruby Gilman has probably the better story because at least you know what it's going to do. But Trolls has some more fun visuals, even though Ruby Gilman also has some incredible rubber hose animation. So now we move on to our final and really the last major animated film of 2023, Migration. So this is the new non-Despicable Me IP Illumination film with the director being Benjamin Renner, who directed the amazing Ernest and Celestine back in 2013. And of course was behind the underrated gem, The Big Bad Fox and Other Tales, which I hope more people see. I think that's a delightful little film where we see a family of mallards who have an overprotective father played by Kumail Nagiani, And he doesn't really want his family to leave the pond that they call home. But one day to decide to migrate to the Jamaica and shenanigans ensue of where they travel. They go to New York and meet a bunch of colorful characters. What's interesting about this movie, and I've seen a lot of people comment about it, is the fact that this does not have a traditional three-act structure, which, you know, not every film needs to have one. At 83 minutes, it's more like a road trip movie with a, I'm not going to say last minute third act conflict, but it definitely comes in at the last minute to raise the stakes instead of just letting the family travel and such. But I think that's what's fun about this movie. It doesn't feel like it's trying to have a story or something deeper than just let's just have these mallards travel around New York or wherever and just have some fun with that with really good character animation and I think maybe Illumination's most striking visuals. I think it helps that there's a more painted look to the CGI models of this film. Especially in the the backgrounds all have that sort of like either painterly look or illustrations from like a children's book that feels like a little bit of Benjamin Renner's style shining through. A lot of people said this film looks generic and I'm not saying that there aren't some moments where the visuals are just like, oh, you could just put them in any of their other movies. But Benjamin Renner has such a distinct visual style and i think it shines through here i think some people just don't know how to identify different artists it's kind of like if you dive into the disney animation and then you could find like milk call this character moves like something he did and it's really easy to find like what he did in those movies here you can see renner's design philosophy with the eyes of the ducks, with the designs. They have a more cartoony, round shape to them, which leads to them having more expressive and personality-driven movements. You can't really say this film would easily fit into the world of Despicable Me. No. Without having to make some real big caveats of 
with the art style. Like this one lives wholly on its own. As where like Secret Life of Pets, Despicable Me, and Sing could be in the same universe, even though there's some horrifying implications of what happened to that world <laughs> if you combine Despicable Me and Sing together. Yeah. <laughs> this movie definitely feels a bit more of its own thing. Much like how like The Incredibles at the time was sort of the best translation of those 2D like concept art translated to 3D animation. That's kind of how I feel about Renner's designs in this movie. Like they really brought his his sensibilities to life. And another part of this film that I like is the fact that Renner had one rule in mind directing this film. The humor has to be broad and universal and no fart jokes. No flatulence, no poop or piss jokes. I mean, there's one, but it's not as gross as other animated films would make it out to be. There's one, but it's executed in in such a clever way that I can let that one slide. But as far as the other sort of humor, it is a lot more character focused. There's, I can't even remember any significant like pop culture references this is pretty much classic physical comedy yeah it's like a old black and white comedy or like from the 50s and such where it was all about the character chemistry and the back and forward between the comedic actors they have a pretty good cast i mean i know people want voice actors and such but I thought Kumel Nagiani, Elizabeth Banks, Casper Jennings, Trezzy Gazelle, and Danny DeVito were very funny as the family unit. With Kumel playing the overprotective dad, Elizabeth Banks being the adventurous mom, and the brother-sister bond that Casper and Tressy bring to Dax and Gwen is really funny. And endearing. It never felt like, oh my god, get these kids off the screen. I like their dynamic. It's probably one of the more realistic brother-sister dynamics that I've seen in a story like this. It was so funny seeing Gwen be like, and he was talking to a girl. It was like, what? No, I wasn't. And I think he wants to marry her. It's like, no, I did not say that. You said it with your eyes. <laughs> and of course, Danny DeVito is delightful as Uncle Dan, having the most Mr. Doom and Gloom lines out of the film. The instigating factor was Kumel and Danny DeVito's characters being like, like Dan saying like, you know what, you're right. We already got a pond, we got a house, and you can be like me. Like healthy, living, and all alone. <laughs> and mac our main character the dad is like what alone yeah it's great and he's like okay let's go on that migration <laughs> or like when they're trapped in that swamp area because of the rain uncle dan being like we're not going to make it out of this are we it's like uncle dan what you could tell me i'm a big duck you can be honest with me or like when they meet the Great Blue Heron, voiced by the great Carol Kane. 
And he's just like, well, wake me up when it's my turn to be eaten. <laughs> <laughs> like Danny DeVito, man, he's so good. I mean, he knows what he's doing with comedy and such, but I like the overall cast. I like that they kept it small. They didn't try to add a hundred different characters or something or possible ensemble casts like Sing or Secret Life of Pets did where like they have so many characters and there's just nothing to do with half of them. Here, it's pretty much the family, the Great Blue Heron encounter, Keegan-Michael Key's Delroy Jamaican Scarlet Macaw, and Chump, the one-footed pigeon voiced by Aquafina, Who I think is actually great in this movie. I think this might be her funniest performance outside of maybe the bad guys. But I think I like this one here more because of the comedy that comes with her name. Because of Mac being like, okay, Chump, what do you call me? Chump's your name, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, well, Chump, what did you call me? <laughs> I wish they didn't spoil that in the trailer, but it's too funny to have left out of the marketing. So I get I, it. Yeah, no, I get why they put all the Chump scenes in there. Like when he's like, yeah, I could show you where to go to Jamaica and then almost gets hit by a car on multiple times. And then like right at the last time where he's like, ha, ha, you missed. And then gets hit by a moped. <laughs> The animation for the pigeons are great. I love the cartoony nature of them and how they have more snappy and expressive movements than in most of Illumination's animation filmography. Not that I want every film to have the same kind of animation, but you can definitely tell a difference between the animation in a lot of their films, especially here with Benjamin Renner bringing his more 2D sensibilities to the CGI. I think the only two characters I didn't care for are the chef, who is just, listen, I get it. You got mad because the ducks got out and took your Scarlet Macaw. But everything he does after that is just just very extra. It's so extra. And another thing, the humans don't talk. Or I did not catch or remember any lines from the humans. It's all animals that talk. And I think that's a very interesting story decision. But again, their animation is so recognizable that you can tell what they're thinking or feeling just by looking at their movements. The only other character I was kind of mixed on was the Gugu, who's voiced by David Mitchell, who is the the yoga leader of the duck farm. I was thinking they were going to do a little more with that because I was thinking that was like a cult place. It definitely felt like they were making that out to be like a cult. Because of the 83-minute runtime, They spend a lot of time in New York. And then the third act doesn't have a lot of time to breathe. So I kind of think the third act should have just been at this duck farm. And not have this big Florida moment. Right, right. Because then it's just like, oh, the chef who flew all the way from New York to Florida 
to get these ducks, which it's like, really? <laughs> just cut the loss, man. You don't have to just make duck a l'orange at your restaurant. But I think that's the only downside of this film. I think the third act is its weakest because then it adds in a bunch of story beats like the son has to save the parents. And like, I think whatever story or character arc issues I have is because of the pacing. Because Mac doesn't ever revert or regress or grow as a dad who is learning to not be so overprotective. He's overprotective until they leave and then that's it. That's the end of his story. He just doesn't want to be alone like Uncle Dan. I think this movie could have used a little bit more time to flesh out these characters. But at the same time, saying that just means I like these characters and I want to see more of them. Exactly. I like the characters. I think it's a very fun movie to watch. And unlike a lot of movies from this from last year, it has legs. At first, it wasn't doing well at the box office, but now it's picking up and has very strong legs, also due to a lack of competition, which definitely helps. But I think a lot of people kind of grew to like this movie, and I think that's how I felt, because... I liked it, but I think this might be my favorite of the Illumination films that they've made. And not just because of the music by John Powell or the cast or the fact that Mike White wrote the script. And, and he's also writing Despicable Me 4. Which I can't wait for that. I hope that leads to a really good script. Before we get too far as we're wrapping up, did you get a chance to see the short that came before this, Mooned? Oh, unfortunately, I was not. But I heard it was very charming. The, yeah. Like, so where we finally get back to the villain from Despicable Me 1 on the moon. <laughs> yeah, I'll be really quick. Mooned is basically seven minutes of Vector. I called it Vector fought the moon and the moon won. <laughs> well, Vector was always like a pathetic villain. He was never meant to be super threatening he became a super villain because of his nepotism because of his father running the villain bank <laughs> yep so when he's left to his own devices that's not always going to work out for him that sounds fun to me for anyone who missed it in theaters i can't wait for you guys to see that short because while it's light on plot the physical comedy that's very chuck jones wiley coyote inspired and that's that that's just why i loved it that makes sense. I I know people have their issues with Despicable Me, and I do too. But they are at the very least doing more Looney Tunes style antics than what Warner Brothers Discovery is doing right now. But, you know, apparently we are actually getting the two Looney Tunes films this year. So I have to see. Back to migration. I think it's a delightful one. It's not my favorite. I think it's this and Under the Boardwalk are tied for like 20th place and 19th place on my rankings. But I'm glad that I've seen Migration. I want to see Illumination build up more original films because after a while, it does get kind of tiring, even though they still make a whole bunch of money to see nothing but sequels or prequels or spinoffs of their franchises. I agree with that. Kind of hoping they go back to that sort of every other movie on their slate being some sort of original. Like, do what Blue Sky 
did. That they did that exactly. a ton of. They would do an Ice Age, but then they would do two or so original films, or they do another sequel that's not Ice Age, but then they do like Ferdinand or Spies in Disguise. Anything to diversify their portfolio. It just gives audiences something new to look forward to. Because I know the Minions movies are making money. They're not going to stop making Despicable Me films until the bottom falls out of those. But sooner or later, that's going to happen. And I know they, they're they resting on their laurels right now, just being like, thank goodness we're not struggling. Every animation studio is going to struggle one way or another. Yep. So you got to keep giving them new and interesting films. And hopefully we see something from their supposed non-family animation branch so yeah i would like to hear about that sooner rather than later not that i want any of those projects to be rushed but i want to know that things are going swimmingly but for now i'm glad we caught these three movies i think because i was dreading talking about or like finding one that I didn't like because I don't I don't search out for bad movies. I watch movies that I'm interested in and then see what happens. And I'm glad that for the most part I enjoyed all three of these films. Same. These are all varying degrees of enjoyable. And while it's unfortunate that because it didn't get a theatrical release that Under the Boardwalk is not eligible for any Academy Awards, not that any of these three had a chance against the heavy hitters but still they're all worth your time if you are curious to check any of them out and for next time well we're going to keep the episode a secret we might be doing more animation catch-up but we'll have to see because we want to talk about the lesser known animated films that came out last year or have yet to have their official u.s release this year or they have but their releases are so small because of people like Sony Pictures Classics. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see. It's kind of up in the air what happens. So hopefully we can talk about Robot Dreams, The Peasants, and They Shot the Piano Player next time. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky at Cam's Eye View. I have a website called camseyeview.biz where I review animated films and shows from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash cams view that's where you can find me and you guys can find me on various social media at captain k42 you guys can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coach k42 and you can follow renegade pop culture on facebook and that place at red pop culture you can also find us on youtube on Podchaser. uh consider supporting our patreon at patreon.com slash renegade pop culture Listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.